0: For joining us in the message entitled The Unseen Battle, The Good Guys, which is part three of Mission Possible, a series on spiritual warfare. twenty-fourth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of euphos. His body was like burl, his face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, and his arms and feet like varnished bronze in color. And the sound of His words like the voice of a multitude. Now, I don't know about you, but that would get my attention. Amen? Huh? huh? Verse 7, And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me. For my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Verse 9, Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and the palms of my hands. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. Understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking these words to me, I stood trembling. Verse 12, Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Let me say that again. I have come because of your words. The reason that he is there is because Daniel has been praying consistently for 21 days. Verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Verse 15, when he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face towards the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the Son of Men touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Verse 20. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Grecia will come. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one upholdeth me against these except Michael, your prince. Now, today we're doing part three in a series on spiritual warfare. Uh, I've titled this series, Mission Possible. Uh, the first week we looked at the objective of warfare, because every war has an objective. Either people are trying to gain possession, uh, they're trying to gain some type of position, they fight a war because of passion. They love something or they hate something. Uh, a wars are fought because they try to promote some kind of ideology or some kind of belief. Uh, somebody is offended or there's some kind of an insult. So it's pride that motivates war. Or sometimes people fight wars because they want to protect themselves. Uh, Another other people is gaining strength, becoming stronger than them. So they go to war against them for that reason. Now, when we looked at the objective of spiritual warfare, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, that told us to be sober, to be vigilant, because our adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, he walks about seeking whom he may devour. We also looked at John 10, 10, that told us the thief came not but to steal, kill, and destroy. So, when we looked at the first week's uh, message on spiritual warfare, we determined that the objective of the enemy And the reason that he goes to war against us is because he wants to destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants to steal from you. And that is the objective of the war that we are in. And, of course, the objective uh, of the spiritual warfare on our part is to protect ourselves against the onslaught of the enemy and the attack of the enemy. Um, Now, the destruction that the enemy wants to um, use against you and I Uh, can only be used against us if we choose to become the servants of sin. He doesn't have any power over you other than to deceive you. Everybody understand that? I mean, the devil can't come and possess you. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit next week when we look at demon powers. Uh, He doesn't have the power to, to, to possess you or to control you in any way unless you yield to him and you use your will to serve him. But if you choose to become the servant of sin, the Bible teaches us that you will become uh, actually the son of the one that you serve. Jesus told us that. He told the Jews that believed on Him, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. Because they chose to be His servant. He said if you sin willfully, you become the servant of sin. And then He went on to say that you are the child of the one that you serve. So we learned last week... uh, that if a man obeys Jesus, that he is actually freed from sin. Uh, I mean, in that first lesson, we learned that he's freed from sin because Jesus told us that if you continue in his word, then you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And so if we continue to serve Jesus Christ, we will be freed from sin. But if at some point the enemy can deceive you and draw you and lure you back into the sin that you that he that Jesus saved you from that you're lured back into becoming his servant once again and you're brought back under the bondage of sin and that is that is his objective is to deceive you and get you to willingly serve him and to serve sin and thereby bringing you back under the bondage of sin and and through that he will destroy you he'll destroy you Romans 6 tells us Whomsoever you yield yourself servants to obey, his servant you will be, whether sin unto death. In other words, if I choose to sin, I'm going to die an eternal death or salvation unto righteousness. So that was uh, week one. And then last week we looked at the, the strongholds of war. Uh, we looked at the fact that in every war there's always critical key positions that the army will try to take. You know, it's usually a high place. Uh, Some strategic military point, and they will try to capture a hill or some uh, point where they have um, maybe access uh, to transport material and weaponry and different things like that. But these key positions are called strongholds, and the military will try to take those key positions. And in order to control the area or to control the people in that area, uh, they need to have control of these strongholds. And so the enemy, to destroy you, must occupy the stronghold. And we looked at what the strongholds were last week. Uh, The strongholds are actually our obedience to God. And Jesus pointed out some of the things that are strongholds in our life. And we looked at the fact that the enemy, uh, he controlled that in your life at one time. It's familiar ground to him. He knows what made you... Uh, sin willfully against God before. He knows the things that you're prone to yield to. And uh, because of that, it's familiar ground. He knows the sin that you're most enticed by. And so He uses those things to lure you back. And sometimes those are weak areas and they become strongholds in our life. And so because He knows the weaknesses in our life, many times that's where He attacks us. And uh, we also looked at these things that... uh, Jesus calls strongholds that defile a man. He told us nothing from outside going in a man defiles a man, but the things that comes from inside of us. Evil thoughts from inside of a man, those are the things that defile men. We also looked at the fact that it's not just passing thoughts. We all have those. Everybody has a passing thought that's not God-centered, that doesn't give glory to God. Jesus Himself was tempted. And we looked at the fact that Lucifer took Him up on a high place and He tempted Him with the kingdoms of the earth. He told Him to turn the stone into bread. He told Him to cast Himself off of the pinnacle of the temple. And He did all these things to tempt Him. And those thoughts came to His mind. But what did He do? He instantly revenged those things when they came to His mind. And the Bible tells us that we need to be ready to revenge disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. Jesus instantly said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So every time that Jesus was tempted, he revenged disobedience. Uh, so an evil thought, they're not just passing thoughts, but they're things that we actually ponder on. They're things that we consider. It's when God's Word tells us to do something and our argument in our mind tries to reason and consider and argue against that and try to figure out a way I can do that and get away with it. It's like, how can I do this and not go to hell? You know, and so we argue those things in our mind and those are the things that the Bible calls evil thoughts. And these defile a man. He pointed out murder, adultery, theft, false witness, blasphemy, coveting, uh Wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil lie, pride and foolishness. Those are the evil thoughts that defile a man. And if you didn't get last week's message, I encourage you to get the last two weeks so you can catch up on this series. Now, we also looked at the fact that Satan may not control the stronghold to the max. But every time we compromise the word of God, we're giving up just a little bit more ground. It's like an army advancing up the hill, and we, we're holding the top of the hill. But every time we compromise the Word of God, when the, the Word of God tells us to do something and we choose to do something different, we give the enemy just a little bit more ground. Because we're choosing to obey sin rather than obey God. And the stronghold is obedience. We need to obey God. Because when we don't, we're giving up ground to the enemy. Uh, so every time we consider the Word of God and we start to argue and we end the sentence with but. Well, God said you should do this and should do that, but. Every time we do that, we are allowing the enemy to gain a little bit more of the high ground. And we are actually replacing the Word of God with our own doctrine, our own tradition. And Jesus said that the traditions of men actually makes God's Word of no effect. So, to overcome this, we have to revenge disobedience and attack it with the written word. And so that brings us up to today. You ready for today? Recap the last two weeks. Today, we're going to look at what would motivate a Christian to cross the line and to become a worker of iniquity, even though he or she knows that that kind of behavior is going to get you in trouble with God. Because it tells us in Matthew seven twenty one. That on that day, many shall say, Lord, Lord, but they're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to stand there and say, but God, I prophesied in your name. I cast out devils in your name. I did many mighty works in your name. But he will say, depart, me, depart from me, you who work iniquity, because I never knew you. Because you see, if we choose willfully to practice iniquity... The Bible says that we will actually get to a point where Jesus says, depart from me. Just just get away from me. And we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Even people who prophesied in his name, cast out devils in his name, and did many mighty works in his name. He's talking to the church. Amen? Are you hearing me say amen? Hmm? Amen. So, what would cause a Christian to, to cross those lines? We're looking today at Mission Possible Part 3, The Unseen Battle. Let's pray. Father... We just bring this message before you right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I believe that you order the steps of people. God, I I know that you order the steps of the righteous. Your word has declared that. And, Father, I believe that there are other times that we are here by divine appointment, God, whether we're in the right standing with you or whether we're not, because you love us that much, Lord. You want to work in our life and work on our behalf. So, God, no matter... Why somebody has come today, Lord, or if somebody's listening to this via the Internet, or however they had this message placed in their hands, Lord, they didn't hear it or come to hear it by accident. God, there's something you want to say to us today. So, Father, I pray right now that you just take me out of the way and let the Holy Spirit just step in. God, I pray for the unction and the anointing. God, to just proclaim your word and say the things that you want said today. And, God, that when we hear them, Lord, you said faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Lord, I pray that faith would rise up in us, Lord, that we could stand strong when the enemy comes, God, and when we're being seemed like attacked on every side, God, that faith would rise up in us because we have grounded our our life and our dependence upon your Word, Lord. And faith has risen up in us because of that. So, Lord, speak right now, Holy Spirit of God. We just turn this time over to You. We release it to You. God, we pray that Your Spirit would just permeate the atmosphere of this place today, and we bind and break the power of every lying demon spirit that would try to come and contradict the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we know the spiritual warfare, it's a battle for our soul. That's the objective. Satan wants to destroy you and every living human being. The Bible says that God created man in His own image. And every time Satan looks at you, he sees the image of the God that kicked him out of heaven. And he hates you. You remind him of God. He wants to kill you, to steal from you, and to destroy you. We know that we have to be vigilant because the enemy is seeking to devour us. And we also know that He occupies the stronghold many times. And if we allow Him to do that, that He will control us and we'll be under His control. But what I want you to realize today that is we are not in this battle alone. Isn't that good news? We don't have to fight this battle alone. God has provided supernatural beings to help us overcome the strategies of the enemy. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Do you see that? The power of His might. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The NIV says the devil's schemes. Uh, One translation says the devil's strategies. It says, for we... "...wrestled not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places." You see, this is not only a battle of our will. It's not a matter of whether we obey or disobey. But this is a battle that involves spirit beings. The Bible says we're not fighting natural things. We're fighting against spiritual beings. And folks, I'm going to tell you right now that if we were fighting this battle by ourselves, we would be in big trouble. We're going to be talking about in just a minute the fact that, that, that there are angel, archangels that have great power. And Lucifer was one of these angels. The highest ranking angels in the angelic world. The archangels. And he was one of them. He had great power. And when he was cast out of heaven with the demon spirits that was cast out of heaven with him, he still maintained that power. And he's been stripped of his power now. But he still knows how to use the ability to deceive. And how to strategize and how to scheme against you. And he's been at it a long time. I've been around for 50... How old am I? 55 now? I think. If you start losing count been serving God faithfully for 35 years, going on 36 years filled with the Spirit. That sounds like a long time, but when you consider that man has been on the earth for 5,000 years, and Satan was in the garden when he got there, and he's been scheming against man ever since, he's been at this a little bit longer than I have. So if I had to fight him and and his minions by myself, I would be in big trouble. But the good news is we don't have to fight this battle by ourselves. 1 right. Corinthians chapter 15 verse 40 says this. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. And he's actually in chapter 15, he's talking about the resurrection and the bodies that we will have when we are raised from the dead and we have our glorified bodies. And what he is saying there is there are bodies that are celestial or heavenly beings. And then there are bodies that are terrestrial. They're earthly like you and I, human beings. And they're different. They have their own design and their own character and their own makeup. And so we know that there are angelic beings. And I I don't know that I can tell you exactly what they look like. But in my mind, and you can't prove this is not true. I can't prove it is. But. I believe theirs is different as you and I. I may be wrong, but I think God, He's just got a wonderful creativity. And when He created the angels, I believe that they look different. You know, just like you and I look different. You know, we got tall people, short people, big people, little people. you got all kinds of people. They all look different. And not that it matters, but it just helps me kind of picture this in my mind. Um, but I, I believe that they have celestial bodies. And it, the Bible says that they have one type of glory and we have another. Well, when we compare our glory, we're different. You look different than I do. <laughs> Amen? Some of, you, some of you is not nearly as good looking as I am. And some of, some of you look a whole lot better than I do, you know? <laughs> Amen? And we're all beautiful in the eyes of God. Maybe I better bail myself out and say that. And so we know that there are spirit beings. We, we read uh, earlier that uh, Satan, he's, he's a spirit being. And he walks about to and fro over the earth, seeking whom he may devour. And so they're out there. These spirit beings are there. And the choices you make are directly influenced by these spirits. This is the thing we need to realize they're directly influenced by these spirits. Ephesians 2 tells us that the unbelievers are the sons of disobedience and the prince of the power of the air works in them. Read it with me. It says verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, "And you he made alive who were dead in the trespasses of sin, in which you were you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince Of the power of the air. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. Do you see that? In the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath. Just as the others. In other words. Everybody look this way and listen. In other words at one time. You served Satan. You were the child of disobedience. And you were influenced by what the Bible calls the prince of the power of the air. Or Lucifer. He influenced you. Demon spirits told you what to do. You listened to them and you did it and didn't even know who you were listening to. Are you hearing me? And sometimes we are drawn and enticed and tempted by demonic spirits and don't even realize it. And we wonder why we cross the line. And we think, well, it's just a choice we made. Well, yeah, it's a choice you made, but you were drawn and enticed and influenced by these spirit beings many times. So that tells me that there are spirits at work in the lives of human beings. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be at work in our life. Amen? The Bible says that I'm a temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in me. He's there to teach me. He's there to comfort me. The Bible said He's there to lead me into all truth. But how many of you know that something may, somebody may try to lead you, but you have to choose to follow? Amen? Yeah. He's not forcing you. The Bible says we're supposed to be sheep. <laughs> Say, bah. <Yeah. laughs> we're not supposed to be goats. Say, but. but. See, goats butt everything. And goats, don't, they don't follow anybody. You have to drive goats. They don't, you don't lead goats. You drive them. Amen? Yeah. But sheep are supposed to follow the shepherd. So we're supposed to be led by the Spirit. uh, But those that are obedient to the lust of the flesh and those things are influenced by the prince of the power of the air. So the Bible also teaches us that these spirits, uh, they do not go unopposed. Because God sends angelic beings to help you and to help me. And we're not in this battle alone. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 says, But to which of the angels has he ever said... Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So who are these angels, these angelic beings? The Bible says they're ministering spirits. That God sends them out to help you and to help me, to minister to me because I'm the inheritance of salvation. Are you guys cold? I see you getting blankets and huddling up. Man, let's turn some of this heat conditioning off. Man, you can hang beef in this place. You need to get up and jump around a little bit. These women with a hot flashes we're going to, have to get you a fan. I say that, God bless you, and I, Lord help you. Don't get mad at me. Man, what was that? Somebody threw something at me. No. Now, now these beings, while they may strengthen you to make the right choices, sometimes they just clearly fight on your behalf. In the opening text, we read about Daniel. Here is Daniel praying for an answer from God, and an angel comes and says, Daniel, I heard you the first day that you prayed. But the prince of Persia withstood me. Twenty-one days. Now, I want you to get this. Here's a man in prayer has no idea that there is a spiritual war going on in the heavens right over his head. He's totally oblivious to it. All he's knowing is he's praying, and the answer hasn't come. He prays again the next day. The answer still doesn't come. Twenty-one days. And finally, the angel comes and says, I heard you the first day. I was on my way with the, angel, with the answer, and this prince this high-ranking demon spirit that is in charge of Persia said, you're not going. And I said, I am. He said, no, you're not. Yes, I am. No. And they started fighting. And it was such a powerful demon spirit that the angel could not fight his way through until Michael stepped on the scene. And he got a bigger sword, I think. Than... In fact, you're going to find out Michael got the biggest sword in heaven other than Jesus. And so when Michael stepped on the scene, I got a feeling that thing said, Oh! It's Michael! Exit, stage left. It's time to get out of Dodge. Sheriff Dillon then stepped out on the street, you know. He got to go. And so he brings the, the answer to Daniel and he realizes there is an angel that came and fought on my behalf while I was in prayer. But that makes me wonder. How many times, folks, have you been praying about something? And the answer was this far away. And you gave up. He said, do you know why I'm here, Daniel? No. Why are you here? Because of your words. Because you didn't stop praying. You kept praying. And that kind of leads me to believe that prayer has a whole lot to do with who wins this war. (laughs) Amen. Come on, somebody. He says, but the prince of Persia, the king of Persia, withstood me 21 days until Michael came and helped me fight through. So in heaven, there is a battle being fought. Now, they fought back in the past. And it makes me wonder, don't they fight today? In the next two sermons, we're going to be looking at these participants in this ancient conflict. And how we can either deject them and dispel them, or we can engage their help. Amen. I want to do some engaging. Amen. Amen. I need some help on my side. So this morning, we're going to take a look real quick. Keeping in mind that in 2 Corinthians 10, our, our, our uh, core text, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or natural, but they are mighty through God to pull down strongholds. So we're going to be looking at the characters that are fighting in this war uh, over the next two series, the next two sermons I do in this series. Um, We understand that this battle is not one that is natural, and therefore it cannot be won using the natural rules of engagement. Uh, The temptation that we face and the trials that we go through, sometimes they seem to be like just going on inside of us. It's an inner conflict. Uh, But I want us to understand that spiritual warfare is between things in the heavens. We're not fighting. He said, we're walking in the flesh, but we don't war after the flesh. He said, even though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. Because the weapons of our warfare, they're not natural. They're mighty through God. They're spiritual. And so if they are spiritual, then there has to be spirit beings involved in this. And we're going to look this morning at the good guys. Everybody say the good guys. The host of heaven. Let's talk about angels this morning. You ready? Number one is they're not women. I hate to let you down, but every time you see an angel and it's this beautiful woman with this flowing long hair and stuff, I don't know where that came from. Because <laughs> every reference to angels, except one in the Bible, is always in the masculine gender. They're they're men for the most part. There is actually one reference that implies that it's, this angel was a woman, and I don't I didn't look it up. I don't recall. I just remember in my studies in years past, I have come across that. But in every exception, except every account except that one. It is a masculine gender. uh they are not dead saints that have passed on. A lot of people's like, Well, God needed another angel. That's why this person died. No, that person's not an angel. They are a saint if they went to be with Jesus, and if they didn't, well, they're not a saint. Uh, they're not little naked babies flying around with bow and arrows. <laughs> All right. They're actually identified in a number of ways in Scripture. The first reference is they are called seraphims. They're, the only reference to the seraphim is found in Isaiah chapter six, verse one, and uh, he says, "In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up, and his train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Seraphim is plural, so there's more than one. A serif would be one. Seraphim is, is plural." Each one, and he points out that there were more than one, had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And he cried. Uh, they cried one to another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So that's one type of angel, is the seraphim. The next one is the cherubim. Cherubim is also plural. Cherub would be one. Cherubim is more than one. Genesis chapter 3, we see that God drove man out of the garden and he set a cherubim in place of the garden with a sword so that man couldn't come back in. In verse 24, it says, So he drove out man and he placed cherubim at, each, uh, at the east of the garden of Eden uh, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. And the reason he did that is because man is in a fallen state and had he been able to go and partake of the tree of life, he would have, all mankind would have been eternally bound to that lost condition. So he stopped him from getting to the tree of eternal life to live eternity in that condition. Then Jesus came and he being the tree of life offered us life instead of death. And that's another whole study, but that's the reason he was there. We see the second reference in Exodus chapter 25, verse 17. It says, You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubic shall be the length of it, and a half, uh, and a half its width. And you shall make two cherubims, two cherubim, M, not with an S, of gold, two cherubim of gold, which is plural, of hammered work. You shall make them of two ends of the mercy seat. The one cherub at one end and the other cherub at the other end. You shall make the cherubim at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings and their face. that they shall face one another. The face of the cherubim shall be towards the mercy seat. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I give you. And there I will meet with you, and I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are on the ark of the testimony, about everything which I will give you in the commandments to the children of Israel. So this is an item that was found in the Holy of Holies. It was actually the place where God's presence dwelt. It was on the ark of the covenant. And the lid that they lifted off had a cherubim on each side, and they stood with their wings touching at the tip. Oh, we're looking the mercy seat. When we see the reference in Psalms nineteen or Psalms ninety-one, and it says, He that dwells in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my strength and my refuge and my fortress, my God in him will I trust. It says, Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome or the the perilous uh, I'm saying it from the King James, noisome pestilence. Uh, the perilous pestilence. It says, He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings shall you take refuge. It's actually referring to the mercy seat. It's talking about you and I being in the presence of God. See, what we don't understand is in the, in the Spirit, we're, see, we're so natural-minded. In the Spirit, when I say, Father, I come before your throne in the name of Jesus, I instantly came to the mercy seat. Do you understand that? The Bible says in Hebrews, we can now come boldly before the throne, the mercy seat. And He said, And I shall abide here under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. He is my fortress. He is my God. Him will I trust. Surely He will deliver me from the snare of the fowler and the noisome pestilence. And under His feathers and His wings will I be protected and will I, I stay and dwell. Those cherubims, every time I pray, whew, they're standing there. Do you, do you see this? They're standing there over you and I. As we meet with God, and the Bible says you can come boldly before His throne and make your request known to God. And how do you do that? In faith, you utter the name of Jesus. And instantly you're brought into His presence. Whew. If we could see in the natural, out of the natural into the realm of the Spirit... We do a whole lot more praying, I can tell you that. Amen. In Jesus' name. Whew, he's like, I'm glad to see you again. What's on your mind? Come, let's visit together. Oh, man. A friend that walks closer than a brother. What's bothering you, son? As if he didn't know. But we have not because we ask not. Huh? What's bothering you? What do you need? What can I do for you? Oh, somebody's picking on you. Michael, huh? ministering spirits, got a little issue down here. The next thing we see is Zoe, or the living creatures. We find that in Revelation, verse 6 of chapter 4. It says, Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal in the midst of the throne, and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in the front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like a calf. The third was like the face of a man. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day nor night saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. See, they're different. Terrestrial beings, were all different. Celestial beings, they're all different. They're made different. They have different purposes and different functions. Not everybody's called to preach. You know, not everybody's called to work on this or that or sell things or do work with numbers. We're all serving in a different capacity and doing different things. Well, the angels are the same way. Now, these are some really cool angels here. I like like them all, but I really like these guys. These are spirit horses and chariot drivers. Yeah, man. The Syrian army had surrounded Israel. Alright? And, and, uh, they were out, I mean, uh, what well, actually it wasn't Israel, it was Elijah. Elisha and his servant. And they're outnumbered. I mean, there's just two people here, and the whole Syrian army is coming against them. And the servant of Elisha says, Look outside, they're just, we're surrounded. What are we going to do? Oh no! And Elisha, he's just like, Cool, calm and collective. He liked Pastor B. <laughs> Would like to be. Uh, well let me finish the sentence. Would like to be. But he was really calm about it, you know, and he's like God open his eyes. And the Bible says that God opened his eyes. Don't you to read this? Second Kings chapter two verse nine. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elisha uh, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what May I do for you, before I'm taking... Well, I'm on the wrong story here. Well, I'll get to that in a minute. The chariot drivers. I'm in the wrong place. Okay, anyway, this is where the chariot of fire comes down and picks up Elijah. I'm telling the wrong story. But anyway, let me t- finish the other story and I'll read it in a minute, alright? He tells him to open his eyes and he looks outside and the Bible says that the hillsides were, they were surrounded with angels of fire. To protect them. And boy, I sure ruined that punchline, didn't I? <laughs> but the chariot drivers. Elijah asked him, he said, what can I give you? He said, I want a double portion of your of your anointing. Yeah. I want a double portion of your anointing. And he, he says, if you see me when I leave, you'll have it. And then he says that he saw him and the angel said, the chariot, verse 11, he says, then it happened as they continued on, their, on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, And separated the two men. And Elijah went up and the whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it. And he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. Now I want you to picture that, you know. Chariot of fire. I don't know if the horsemen looked like fire or not. But there were angels driving these chariots. And they came down and picked up Elijah. Verse 17 of Psalm 67 says, The chariots of God are twenty thousand, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. So God, He, he must like them too because He's among them. He's like, send out my chariots. Assemble my horsemen. Then we have the archangel. This only appears twice in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, it says, The Lord Himself shall descend with, from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise. We see it the second place in Jude chapter 1. Yet Michael, the archangel, is con- in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dare not bring against him railing accusations, but said, The Lord rebuked you. Now, Michael is the only archangel that's mentioned by name uh, in the Bible. But in the book of Daniel, it said that Michael was one of the chief princes. So we know that there are more than one archangel. We don't know how many. It said that he was uh, uh, the prince uh, over Persia, was withstanding the angel, of course, and then Michael came to help him. Then finally, we get down to uh, the common angels, the one that we usually think of when we think of an angel, just a common angel. Um, they are mentioned 294 times in Scripture. Um, but there are more uh, angels, actually, than can be numbered. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse 22. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. You say, well, how many angels are they? You can't number them. Are you hearing me? He's like, well, is God going to run short if I need an angel? He's not going to have any? No. <laughs> Believe me, there's plenty. And He'll probably send you more than one if he need it. Amen? I pray that quite often. God... I pray this over our missionaries very, very often. God, send your holy angels to protect them, to guard over them, keep them safe, Lord. And I believe that that, who knows? Can you just imagine this? You're standing before the throne of God, and your life is scrolling past. And he shows you a scene of a missionary that is just about to be martyred. And here you are saying, God, send holy angels to protect my brother, my sister. And all of a sudden, angel shows up on the scene. Yeah, come on. How many times have angels intervened in the affairs of men? How many times? How many times were were you out hunting and a gun is pointed at you because you're rustling the bushes and the guy's getting ready to pull the trigger and something tells him, Don't shoot until you see what it is. You're driving down a two-lane road and the guy meeting you is just about to fall asleep and cross the line and hit you and something wakes him up. Yeah, come on, man. huh? yeah. How many times that you're getting ready to go and do something but something delays you and you're a minute or two or five minutes late, and a tragedy it just happened just five minutes in front of you, and it would have been you had you not been delayed. Things intervening in the affairs of man, and we just rule it off as coincidence or it just it wasn't my day or something, and we don't see the times that God intervened and angels were on the scene doing things, and we don't even know it. Amen. So these angels, their nature, they're intelligent, they're wise, they're patient, they're meek, they're joyful, they're modest, holy, they're glorious beings, they're immortal, they're powerful and mighty. They are heavenly spirit beings with hands, with feet, with eyes, with voices, with heads, with mouths, with hair. (laughs) I wondered when I was preparing this, God, don't you have at least one bald-headed angel up there? Come on. Well, I happen to believe he does. Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in the Bible, was bald-headed. Stand the reason he'd have a bald-headed angel in the right, Tony. Amen, brother. But they have faces. and they're, they're limited in their knowledge, but they are higher than man. They have no need for rest. They can eat if they choose to. Remember Abraham? He had a theophany, the three angels. He said, Go and prepare, and he prepared a meal and fed them. Uh, the angels came in with Lot into his house, and he waited on them. Uh, they can appear visible or invisible. They can and do operate in the natural realm frequently. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 13:2 says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Have you ever entertained an angel? Well, you're unaware. It's probably, You don't know. You remember the story I, we shared about Jeannie praying for the man in the hospital. Now, I'm almost certain that she entertained an angel. God moved on her heart. This man, he's bedridden. They've got him tied to the bed. He's trying to bite the nurses. He's not in his right mind. He's almost like demonic. And God just moved on Jeannie's heart to go and visit this man. She took her Bible in and she just started reading the Scripture. And she said, I, I, I know, Mr. Jesse, that you would you want to do the things you used to do, but your body's failing and you can't. said, so I just came on, I just want to read the scripture to you. And she started reading, and this lady came in, huge black lady with her hair in cornrows, wasn't it? A nurse. She was a nurse. And she had a Jamaican accent. And she said, oh, thank you for coming to visit Mr. Jesse. And Jeannie had read the scripture, she said, she said Read such and such. And Jeannie would turn to the scripture. And as she would read it, the nurse would recite it. Word for word. Then she'd say, read such and such. And she'd turn to another scripture. She'd read it. This lady would recite it. Verse after scripture after scripture. And then she said, oh, thank you for coming to visit Mr. Jesse. And left. But the thing you need to understand about this is this man she's visiting, his daughter works at St. Mary's Hospital. All right? She's a nurse there herself. And so Jeannie tells Linda about this nurse, that so this nurse came in and told her all about it. And she said, well, I'm, I want to go find her and thank her. She has searched St. Mary's Hospital from top to bottom, front to back, and there is nobody in the hospital that fits that description on staff at St. Mary's Hospital. There was nobody on that floor, on that shift. It doesn't exist. Huh. Hello? Well, you can think what you want to, but, well, be careful when you entertain strangers, for sometimes we entertain angels unaware. By the way, the next day, Mr. Jesse was in his right mind, requesting food. They took the restraints off of him. Linda came in and he says, where have I been? She said, Daddy, it's good to have you back. Isn't God awesome? Wow, God is awesome. He's awesome. Their work... They guard gates. They wage war in actual bodily combat. Uh, I don't know if I read all that or not. I'll just read verse 7. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7. It says... It says He's revealed from heaven His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to go home and read that whole thing. Because He's saying two things there. The angels come to take vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of God. That makes me wonder about the church, folks, when we don't obey the gospel. Because he's talking about the people that's outside the church that don't even know God, but he's talking about those who do know God, but do not obey the gospel. I don't want an angel against me, I can tell you that. I want him for me, not against me. Amen? They also execute judgment. We see that in Sodom and Gomorrah. They went in, brought Lot and his family out, and they executed judgment on that city. When David numbered the people, it angered God. He told him, you can have seven years of famine, you can have three months being pursued by your enemy, or you can have uh, three days of plague. And David chose, I'd rather be judged by you, God. And the angel of the Lord was sent, and 70,000 people were (laughs) executed because of the judgment of David's rebellion. We see another example of Sennacherib, the king of Assyria. He's coming against Israel. Hezekiah, the king, this is David's like 500 years later, great, 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 great grandson. And he's saying, God, Sennacherib is coming and the Assyrians, they've defeated every nation. And now they're coming here and they're going to defeat us. And God spoke and says he's not going to shoot an arrow in the city. He's not even coming in. The way he comes is the way he's going to leave. And God sent one angel, one angel. And in one strike of his sword, he killed 185,000 men. And Sennacherib packed up and went home. Went into the temple of his pagan god and started worshiping his pagan god. And his two sons came in and killed him. They rule nations. They help individuals. They lead sinners to gospel workers. Remember, Cornelius was in prayer. And an angel of God came to him and said, Send workers to Simon a tanner that lives by the sea and inquire for one Simon Peter. An angel sent by God, cares even about lost people, says, go and send for this man and he'll tell you. Why do we pray? God, you're praying for somebody that's lost in your family. God, send somebody across their path that they will listen to. Send angels, God, to direct them. Amen? They watch over children. Matthew eighteen ten says, "Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven." You Better be careful how you treat children. Child molesters, ho oh, ho, you better ho oh, ho. I don't want an angel against me. Amen. They sing, they praise, they worship, they strengthen people that are in trial. The last thing that I want you to see, and I'm going to close with this is that they are here, and I read this earlier, they are here to minister. This is the main thing we need to understand. They're here to minister to you and I. He says, but who of the angels did He say, sit on my right hand? But are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to them who are the heirs of salvation? God has involved these angelic beings in the affairs of men throughout history. Brought Lot out. Abraham is sitting in his tent. And he saw what was called a theophany. A manifestation of the God he had come. And they sat down. Visited with him. Remember Sarah was jealous. Because Hagar, his his uh, handmaid had had a child. And she s- told Abraham. said, Send them out. And Hagar is out there. She's crying. And Ishmael is about to die. And she don't know what to do. And an angel comes and says, Why are you crying? Hagar. Why? It says, Rise up, because I will also bless him and make him a, a man of a mighty nation. Twelve nations shall come out of him. Jacob, God sent angels to minister to Jacob. Moses, when he led him out of Egypt, Pharaoh wouldn't listen to anything else until he sent the angel of death, took the firstborn of every house if they didn't have the blood over the doorpost. Elijah, when he ran from Jezebel, he called down fire from heaven, consumed the thing, and then he goes running off because Jezebel threatened him. And he's about to starve to death, and he lays down under a juniper tree and so said, "Just let me die, God." And an angel wakes him up, and up on the rock was a cake of angel food that he had a bread that he'd prepared. And he said he ate that, and went forty days in the strength of it. Many of them angels can cook, brother <laughs> Whew. Some good stuff. I've ate lots of angel food, but it wasn't that kind, brother. The story of, uh, of Elijah and his, and his servant that I told you about, the angels coming to their rescue, and Hezekiah and Sennacherib when he slayed the 185,000. Peter, this is important that we see this, because even in the New Testament, you say, well, we are the temple of God. God is with us. Jesus is with us. All power in heaven and earth is with me all the time. What do I need an angel for? But Peter was in prison, a spirit-filled, born-again believer, locked up in prison. And an angel coming and kicks him. Get up, get up, Peter! The chains fell off. Didn't have to take a key. Just poof, they fell off when he walked in the room. He said, "Get up, Peter!" And he got up and went and knocked on the door. Little girl comes down and leaves him standing at the door. Said he thought it was his spirit. Ran back upstairs. Paul, he's on a ship. A the hurricane is come and they're throwing out the tackle and everything. And an angel of the Lord comes and says, If everybody will stay on the boat with you, Paul, they'll be safe." And he tells him, This night the angel of the Lord stood by me and told me, If you stay on the ship, you'll be safe.'" Paul on the Isle of Patmos, the angel of the Lord came and gave him the revelation. Folks, angels are still active in the lives of men in human affairs. Amen? And they're active in our life. You may have seen one before, but didn't know it. Amen.